COVID-19 is a public health crisis. And part of that public health crisis is the mental health aspect of it and the mental wellness of the young people that we were serving. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by J.B. Stark. They are the Senior Director of Individual Giving at The Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ young people. It's an incredible organization, and my conversation with J.B. ranges a lot of ground. But the central line is how they led their teams through the last year to both be resilient and continue to see incredible growth with their programs and their donor and supporter communities. It's an insightful conversation, so let's dive in with JB. For those that may not be familiar with you and your work, could you share about the Trevor Project's mission and your personal path to joining the team? Sure. Thanks, Noah. Um, So the Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization serving LGBTQ young people. We provide 24-7 crisis services, including Trevor Lifeline, Trevor Chat, and Trevor Text. Um, And we also have the world's largest safe space social networking site for LGBTQ young people called Trevor Space. The reason why our organization exists is because uh, what we know now is that suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people. And lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth are at a significantly increased risk. Um, We know that LGBTQ youth are four times as likely to attempt suicide than their straight or cisgender peers. Based on our research, we've also found that every year there are more than 1.8 million LGBTQ young people in the United States who seriously consider suicide. But (laughs) we do know that when there are systems of support in place, Reports of suicide attempts are lower among LGBTQ young people. So what's important to know about, you know, the work that we're doing is that um, when young people reported having at least one LGBTQ affirming space, their odds of suicide decreased by 35%. We know that uh, just having one accepting adult in your life as an LGBTQ youth young person can reduce your risk of suicide by 40%. So clearly that's showing that um, LGBTQ young people, when they're affirmed in their identities, that we can make a difference in how they're living their lives. And how I got to Trevor, so (laughs) my name is JB, (laughs) and uh, I'm the Senior Director of Individual Giving at the Trevor Project. Personally, I started my career at doing LGBTQ youth work. I had a chance to work at um, a national organization called the National Youth Advocacy Coalition. I wasn't in fundraising at the time, but it was a place that gave me an opportunity to 
advocate on behalf of LGBTQ youth at the federal and state level. Um, I was doing trainings with youth service providers all across the country. Um, unfortunately, NIAC, the organization, was one of the nonprofits that didn't make it through the financial crisis um, that began in 2008. Um, and I really learned what fundraising, why fundraising was so important to make sure that the causes that I cared about continued to go on. So from there, I focused really on fundraising in my career. Um, I did, I've done fundraising in New York City for the rest of my career, which has now been uh, 12 years. Um, and right before I came to Trevor, I was working at the NYU Stern School of Business and I just knew that the time was right for me to go back to serving LGBTQ young people. Um, and there was an opportunity to work at the Trevor Project in this new role. We have seen so much growth at Trevor in the last few years. And it was just an opportunity that was too exciting to take on as a fundraiser, but also personally where I can't think of a mission that is more important to me as you know, I was a queer young person myself who was struggling with my own mental health. And if I could tell that young person today that I am where I am now, it feels very fulfilling personally, like a dream job to me. JB, I appreciate you sharing your story and just drawing that connection back to the mission that Trevor has. And what's so incredible as I've watched from the outside, the work that Trevor does is the ways it reduces, it took a single insight around this idea of creating support spaces or spaces where support can be expressed, but then reduce the friction across a variety of different delivery methods to open up different ways to actually get to that outcome or that delivery. And it's been really interesting to watch and just grateful for you and your team and the work that you all do. Well, thank you. We are proud of what we do and uh, very every staff member at Trevor is very mission oriented. So yeah, it's nice to hear that we have so many supporters in the community who care about our work. Indeed. And I know you talked about the importance of fundraising or at least the, the kind of um, discovery as why fundraising is so important. And I think what you just mentioned about Trevor's team and how they're very mission forward, which then helps fuel, I would assume is what's you know able to drive the growth that you all have seen and your just ability to expand how you deliver mission. Because that mission is, is so, or much more easily compelled through within fundraising messages when there's that personal conviction towards the cause. We've seen that across a lot of our interviewers, regardless of the the cause, it's like the fundraiser's alignment to that cause actually is essential for them to be effective at fundraising. Not always, but I do think it makes better fundraisers. And I'm sure you all have seen that um, at Trevor. No, it's true. It's, um, it's a good observation, but I think it also makes, when your job is mean, personally meaningful to you, that it shows through energetically you are more excited. Donors can feel that you're more excited or you're more committed. And I think ultimately that's what draws in donations. You know, when the person who is soliciting a gift is compelled personally, I think it's harder to say no and easier to feel their excitement. 
you know, they're a much better bridge between the supporter and the story or the impact, um, or a, a more compelling <laughs> bridge between those two things. Uh, you you mentioned one thing I want to dig a little bit into because we do want to talk about growth and fundraising growth. You mentioned Trevor has seen a tremendous amount of growth even throughout 2020, which was a quite challenging year for many organizations in a lot of different ways, not just on the financial side, but you know, it, it introduced stress and strain, um, new kind of dynamics and vectors of uh, resistance and how uh, organizations were able to deliver their mission. And so uh, as you look back on 2020, I'm curious what changed for the Trevor Project throughout that year. And almost more importantly, what didn't change as it relates to how you all connect supporters with your story? So 2020 was a big year, yes. <laughs> and it, it came after a few years of incredible growth for the Trevor Project, which you were just mentioning. Um, we've seen that our, in the last three to four years, we've grown two to three times, um, both in the number of young people that we're serving, um, in our budget, um, in the number of volunteers that, you know, work at Trevor on the crisis lines. So 2020 came along um, and we went, had to go through uh, a total repivot like many nonprofits we had to, we went completely remote, which meant that we had to move our, our lifeline call centers. Our lifeline is um, where we answer the phone. It's the bread and butter of our work. Those call centers had always been bricks and mortar. And so it was, we had to completely move the centers to remote operations for the first time ever. Um, and all of our staff had to go remote at the same time, of course, to ensure the health of everybody who was working at Trevor. Um, luckily, we were able to do it and we were able to be uninterrupted to the LGBTQ young people that we were serving. So there was no stopping what we needed to do to make sure that LGBTQ young people were getting support from us. Um, JB, if I could jump in here, I had a really, I have a question in regards to this because I do think it's something that um, comes up in prior conversations around that moment of impact for your organization where you have to make these pivots. Um, obviously, their operational change, their mission delivery change, their internal changes. What, if any, communication did you use at that time to share the impact of these changes with your supporter community, like your donor community? Or what did that look like, if anything, in that moment as you all were making that you know, transition quite rapidly? Well, communicating that back to the donor community didn't happen immediately, <laughs> um, just because things were happening so quickly every day and there were lots of things that were happening every day so you know if I was on the phone with the donor I could share it with them um, but we weren't fully able to share with our largest audiences what was happening it in with regards to going remote for a month or two um, just because we needed to to fully land I think what was most important to us is that we were communicating back to our audiences what was happening for LGBTQ youth in that moment of the onset of COVID-19. Um, at, at the same time that we were going remote, we saw that the volume of youth reaching out to us significantly increased, at times doubling to our pre-COVID volume. 
Um, this is, wow. of course, it's troubling, but it's not surprising because before the pandemic, um, young people, LGBTQ young people, were experiencing significantly increased rates for depression, anxiety, and attempting suicide, um, largely because of their increased experiences of victimization. Additionally, LGBTQ youth already face disproportionate rates of unemployment and homelessness, which are among the most consistent risk factors for suicide. So when COVID-19 hit, what we were seeing was that those issues that already existed were exacerbated by these new anxieties, these new uncertainties that were coming up from the pandemic. And that was the message that we wanted to be sending to our donors, which was that, you know, COVID-19 is a public health crisis. And part of that public health crisis is the mental health aspect of it and the mental wellness of the young people that we were serving. So it was important for us to say, you know, Trevor's going to be there for Trev for LGBTQ youth, no matter what, especially in this moment where they need us more than ever. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that even highlights to my prior question, like what didn't change, right? Being able to express that mm. back um, mm-hmm. and kind of reassure the community, uh, as you called it, uh, landing, but also standing next to you know, those that you serve. And so, yeah, it's just an incredible um, challenge, but one that seems as though you all navigated within the constraints to best your abilities. Uh, anything else that changed for the Trevor Project or what didn't change um, in 2020 as it related to your fundraising efforts and how you were engaging supporters and kind of the increasing needs that you all were serving? What didn't change was the our need to support young people. That's true. Um there were lots of things that did have to change internally as a nonprofit, you know, how we are thinking about staying connected and collaborating. Campaign development became a very different thing to do when we were primarily remote in, well, not primarily, completely remote in, in a scenario where it felt like things were changing every day. So there was a lot of internal processes that we were working through to make sure that we were collaborating effectively and caring for ourselves too. I think that's the other thing, you know, we were all people going through the, I mean, we still are going through the pandemic together personally, um, trying to support each other, but also trying to make sure that we were raising enough money to keep the doors open, to serve the young people that needed us. And so I know you, you mentioned there um, the how you deployed campaigns or how you kind of engaged your donors in the cause had to pivot. Were there specific examples of like fundraising efforts that you all had planned or uh, engagement opportunities that you did that you had to completely change? And then kind of what, what replaced them or how did you maintain the funding uh, or the, not the funding, but the really the movement of support for the Trevor Project throughout last year, and now even, like you mentioned, into 2021. Yes, so Pivot was definitely the name of the game. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're all over that word, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) We thought it was so cool in the beginning. (laughs) Um, Yes, we definitely got Pivot fatigue. 
You know, our biggest fundraising moments at the Trevor Project are the end of the year in December, the calendar year, and June, which is Pride, um, LGBTQ Youth Pride Month. Well, LGBTQ Pride. It's a moment where Trevor comes together and runs our own campaign, and there's an individual giving aspect and a corporate aspect, and found, you know, everybody, the board gets involved. All of our staff are thinking about Pride. And so, you know, we it was we started planning the Pride campaign before the pandemic started. Then the pandemic started, and we had to think, okay, there's not going to be in-person Pride this year. What does that mean for our fundraising across the board? We usually also have an event in June um, that obviously had to be canceled. So we had to completely re-envision Pride as a digital experience. And we were ready to go with something that we felt like could be um, successful in this new space that nobody had really been in before. Um, And then a week before Pride happened, um, George Floyd was murdered by the police and a reckoning with racial injustice took place um, in our country. (laughs) I mean, it's not funny, but, you know, and then everything changed again. And that was a week before this big campaign was set to launch. Yeah. How did, how did you all even, I guess, process the decision? And then, you know, if you can share more about what the outcome of that was or what you all moved towards um, through the end of, through the rest of the end of the year, um, I know, yeah, I'm just curious how you navigate those challenges, not challenges, but just this moment in time where things didn't go maybe the way expected, um, but kind of opened up other uh, spotlights that then required a shift, I imagine. It didn't feel as celebratory anymore to be launching straight into Pride on June 1st. Um, and our development and our growth team, sorry, marketing team was meeting daily to, you know, test what, to take a temperature check, basically. Um, And we like, we make decisions together in a consistent, on a consensus basis, sorry. Um, And so the teams would just meet and have temperature checks and we, we try to stick to our values. And our values were telling us that it wasn't right to be fundraising in the beginning of June, and we decided to halt those efforts um, to pivot our planned fundraising efforts um, and to make sure that we were, you know, showing up for um, Black Lives Matter and that we weren't taking up space that was, you know, that a lot of movement building was taking place on behalf of Black Lives Matter. And we didn't want to be taking up airtime from that. What we then did was decide to pivot our pivot our focus to really be looking at developing resources to provide support to Black LGBTQ youth who are most impacted by the violence. So we were putting together resources like one written by our Chief Clinical Operations Officer, Tia Dole, called Supporting Black LGBTQ Youth Mental Health. Um, We put out guides about how to have intersectional conversations at the intersections of young people who are Black and LGBTQ. Um, It was important that 
our community was getting those messages and learning how to support a community that we so much care about. And ultimately, I think it was the right decision that we that we moved away from, you know, that proactive fundraising in the first couple weeks of June. We did feel like by the end of June that we could uh, refine our campaign message to include to include more content about what was happening in the world and the country. Um, and we did we did do some fundraising um, by the end of the month. But, you know, it was a big decision to make as a fundraiser to say we're not going to fundraise. And then we ended up fundraising by the end because we felt like it aligned with our values that we wanted to make sure that all LGBTQ youth were getting support and Black LGBTQ youth are an important part of our community and they deserve support as well. And the outcome is that we, you know, we still raised the money that we needed to. Um, and I, I don't regret that decision that we made. And I feel really proud of that we did because it was the right thing to do. Absolutely. Challenging times, but I do agree with your point that what 2020 taught us even here at Virtuous as a team, and this has been reflected in some of your, uh, what you've shared here, but many of the other people we've interviewed, is just how resilient generosity is um, and how that was something in, even in the darkest moments of maybe a year filled with dark moments helped pull them back up and get back focused on what they needed to do. Um, was that, that the resiliency of generosity. And and it sounds as though, you know, your community, the supporters of Trevor showed up as well in 2020. Yeah, I do see that. I think it has been a particularly generous year. Trevor is still growing in our, our revenue and our budget, luckily. And I think one of the reasons why is just because we're in the middle of a moment where everybody can relate to struggling. And I think that inspires generosity. No, I th- that that is a great insight. And I think something to take forward is how, yeah, how do we, uh, how a moment of shared yet still fragmented struggling really drives people to look outside of themselves and invest in serving others. I know that's something we've seen and, I, and we, I've said this a few times on the podcast, but it was incredible to just see how we as a, as a community and as even as a world can stay, you know, choose to stay home for others, stand up for others and serve each other as we can. And when we do, it's really personal I think that's something that, you know, we saw across the board in 2020 with the organizations we serve um, is really incredible. And even though we've spent, you know, time really reflecting on some hard changes, some hard pivots that you had, you and the team had to drive forward in 2020. I'm curious now, like obviously looking back like three, four months, five months, six months from these moments, what were some of the learnings that you and the team are carrying forward into 2021? Because obviously there was moments that were very unique to 2020, but I'm interested in what shared learnings you would kind of pass on that you all are carrying forward uh, into this year. I think one of my biggest uh, lessons from 2020 has to do with um, 
what constitutes an emergency when you're fundraising. Like as a fundraiser, I think about um, that phrase more than ever. We need you more than ever. That's a phrase. I mean, I'm a fundraiser and I've been I've been guilty of using that term, that phrase. Um, But I think that when you are ringing the alarm over and over again, you know, it loses its meaning. The um, the idea that this moment is more critical than the previous one and you lose the dynamics. I've also thought a lot about how we are communicating emergency to our donor base, basically. Um, Trevor's really lucky because our donor base is very diverse and includes a lot of young people that end up being grateful that the lifeline exists because existed because they used it at some point. So when we're communicating that we need the support of our donors and we say that this moment is the biggest emergency that we've had, it affects the reader, the, the audience. And I think we have tried to be really careful about not over alarming our donors. Like uh, this, the issue that we face at Trevor is very serious. We're talking about preventing suicide and that's a serious matter. And we're also talking about LGBTQ young people who are resilient. And when they call the lifeline, they're showing, you know, a small amount of hope that maybe someone's out there who can help them. And so it's important, I think, for us to be thinking about the dynamics of that narrative arc to our donor community, that even in the dark, there is light, that even in darkest, their darkest times, young people are reaching out to us because they think something could help them. And I think about that when we're talking to donors, that, you know, it's very, it's a dire issue that we're, we're dealing with here, but also there's so much strength in what we do. Um, and that um, it's important for them to be able to interact with us in all of those different tones. You know, we're determined, it is critical, and there is hope. It's important that it's not just, you know, save us from this emergency situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's, it's a really important insight. From a different perspective, I spent a lot of time raising funds for international development and aid and relief, which tends to, I hate to use the word, but rely on those emergencies and that communication because there's always something in the world going on you know, that's some sort of disaster or human crisis or, you know, the list goes on. And then there's the natural disasters that we would fundraise around. But your, your spotlighting of this idea of like, what is emergency? And how then, based on our mission or our cause, must we then communicate with our supporters and really be thoughtful about that? And I, I appreciate the highlight there because I do think that's an important and it's really relevant to what your mission is, not a templated approach on what's best practices. Almost every organization needs to have that conversation on how do we frame the urgency of our cause because we're working on something we believe is urgent. Thus, where do we draw the lines and almost protect 
what is truly urgent versus what is consistent in the cause that we're carrying. Um, that's really mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about it. This is a 2020 thing as well. I was thinking about it a lot because I was on a lot of email lists for candidates for the uh, election. Mm -hmm. And I was getting like, you know, I really respect political fundraisers. I have to say, I think they, <laughs> what they do is incredible. And I don't know if I could ever do it. Um, but their emails were stressing me out. <laughs> <laughs> Even ones you want to get right. Sometimes I'm I, like, I want to read this, but I, I've had too much today. <laughs> yes. Oh, I would get so stressed out. And I thought, you know, like, I don't want a Trevor donor to receive an email from Trevor every day and feel more stressed out than they did before. You know, like I want our donors to feel like they can be a part of something that they care about, that they're like a proactive partner in the work that we're doing. Um, I don't want them to feel like I just gave yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and now there's a new emergency and I have to give again today and again tomorrow because there's a new emergency. I just don't, I think, I think we have seen donor fatigue in 2020 that we didn't see before. Mm. Yeah. That's definitely an insight I would encourage listeners to take away is, is kind of the importance of how we communicate and what that communicate communication, the impact that communication has on our supporters that we, you know, care and rely on and are rallying together to make a change in our world, taking that care. And sometimes we use the word stewardship, but usually that's just around, you know, money and transactions. But how do we actually truly care for the supporters experience as they engage with us in the same way many consumer brands do, where they're monitoring how every touch point with a brand has an impact, we should take that seriously as well. And that's a lesson I know I'm going to take from this conversation. Are, are there other things you would advise? So if you were advising other leaders that are working on similar or different causes um, across the spectrum, what, what would you remind them to keep in focus as we continue to press forward into 2021? I think there were two things that I would say to keep at the forefront. The first one has to do with just driving into the hard conversations and trusting your gut. Our decision to pause and pivot fundraising and pride was only possible because people who cared enough about each other and the mission of the organization to do what we thought was the right thing even if it went against what we believe our job descriptions to be. And I think part of that hard conversation as well was talking about like how committed we are to racial justice as an LGBTQ youth organization. And so, you know, we made a decision based on those values that we care about racial justice. And so we did what we did. The other thing that I think that was really important that I would, I would want someone to take away is that I think it's really important to make your cause relevant to the time and to speak to your donor in a way that acknowledges what's happening. Every time we reached out to a major donor or a, our general audience, 
we're thinking about what that tone is that they're going to receive that, you know, we know, you know, when there were fires in California, we knew it was important to think about pausing our outreach and to, to acknowledge what's happening for them. You know, our mission and our cause is very important and we have to think about what's happening in the lives of the donors and relating what's happening in the world to why it's important to support Trevor. Donors, I think, are, they're smart and they know that there are organizations that are talking to them that can talk to them very in a sophisticated manner. And so I think it's important to be thinking about donors as a part of our team. We consider our donors to be partners. Um, we try really hard not to say things like, you helped us do this. Instead, we say, Your, our partnership together achieved these outcomes. Through our partnership with you, donor, that we care about so much, we were all able to achieve this wonderful, you know, this wonderful mission. We all are saving LGBTQ young people. Your donation saves lives. Um, not you donating to us makes us save lives. And I think that there's a difference there. Um, we have, you know, a lot of wins in the spaces of advocacy um, and research. And, you know, just every day that the crisis hotlines stay open, and a young person's life is saved, those are all wins that we can celebrate with, um, with our donors. Yeah, and the key there is it's that togetherness that is driving the impact. And I appreciate that spotlight. JB, this has been incredibly insightful and thanks for the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. Oh,